Let's get to it. Finance Minister Katrina Conroy rose in the legislature just over two hours ago and delivered the B.C. government's $89 billion budget. The bottom line, a massive deficit, a growing debt, and an election year budget packed with new spending, housing measures, and affordability initiatives. Here is Finance Minister Katrina Conroy. And as Finance Minister, I want you to know that when times are tough, our government works for you. We have your back. And we will continue taking action for you so more people feel hopeful about their future here. Some look at the challenges ahead and say government should respond with deep cuts, leaving people to fend for themselves. This would only weaken the services we all rely on and drive up costs with added fees and fares. It would leave people at risk to those who take unfair advantage by putting profits ahead of people. We see this in the current housing crisis. After decades where the housing market served the interests of investors and speculators, even those who earn a decent income are finding it hard to afford a home. And that doesn't sit well with our government. That was Finance Minister Katrina Conroy just a couple of hours ago. Lots to unpack here. Joining me now is Richard Zussman, Global BC's legislative reporter, who was in the budget lockup earlier today. Richard, welcome. Hey, Jess. Thanks for having me. Let's go through the the, the broad strokes here for a moment. Uh, The budget deficit, a $7.9 billion deficit in an election year. Uh, Why do you think there was no thought or conversation in regards to belt tightening? Yeah, so I think there probably was a conversation about belt tightening, and ultimately the conclusion was British Columbians, the vast majority of them, would like to see this government ensure the services that they have relied on continue to be there and that they are expanded upon. You and I have talked about this a lot, Just 250,000 British Columbians have come here in the last few years. That is putting pressure on all sorts of services. And in order to help keep up with that, the province needs to spend. And ultimately, the conclusion was drawn by Finance Minister Katrina Conroy and Premier David Eby and their teams that the public doesn't see a huge issue with deficits if it means that services are preserved and that more things are coming around the corner. We've seen forecast deficits this big before. It came, you know, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. When the books were finally settled, uh, the deficit was nowhere close to the $7.9 billion that is now being forecast for next fiscal year. And we're not expecting in the next year some sort of economic rebound like we saw coming out of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. this is likely going to be the biggest we have seen in the province's history And economists that I spoke to today, Jazz, we were just in the budget lockup where we had an opportunity to to talk to experts. All of them universally said, yes, you can spend now, but eventually those bills come due. And when they come due, they come with interest. And all of that puts exceeding pressure on future generations. So you are doing something now without a clear picture of the impacts that it's going to have on the future. So a $7.9 billion deficit. Let's look at the debt just for a moment. BC's total provincial debt is forecast to climb uh, by nearly $20 billion with this budget to $123 billion. 
of that, about $88 billion of that is supported by taxpayers, rest by, uh, uh, you know, BC Hydro and many other agencies like that. The taxpayer-supported debt-to-GDP ratio uh, basically climbs to about 21%. That's, that, that measures debt affordability, uh, up from 17% last year. And to put that in context, budget 2018, the debt-to-GDP the, the debt ratio was 15.5%. So it's grown under the NDP. The NDP has clearly decided here, at the end of the day, uh, we're going to continue to spend on schools and hospitals, and yeah. uh, too bad the opposition can complain. We think we're heading in the right direction. The other piece of that, and you mentioned debt, is because of big capital projects. Big capital projects means jobs. We're going to see over the next year the three biggest private sector job uh, opportunities in this province go away because the projects are done. LNG Canada, Site C, completion of uh, Trans Mountain and other pipelines. And, and all of that, when I spoke to those that represent the business community today, they are concerned that there's nothing coming behind. There are no big major projects approved right now in this province that will help offset the loss in GDP and the loss in jobs that comes with those projects. And I asked the minister this, it seems to me and others that were uh, looking at this budget, that the government plans on supporting those jobs in the economy through capital project job growth, public sector job growth. And that's concerning to a lot of economists that, yes, having a well supported public sector capital project with, as you described, new schools and hospitals and roads is important, but also encouraging private sector investment to the province is crucial. And Bridget Anderson from the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, Ken Peacock from the BC Business Council say they don't just they don't see any signs here about what the province is doing to incentivize companies to come here and invest in British Columbia. And that's going to have a pretty significant long-term financial implication on BC. Well, you look at the LNG project alone in Kitimat, that's $36 billion. Two-thirds of that is being spent in Canada. and That's a lot of SkyTrain lines the public would have to build just to, to, to replicate that one project in regards to the economic spin-offs uh, for the province. But let's move on uh, beyond just economy. Uh, let's talk about uh, flipping tax. They've introduced uh, what I'm told is a 20% tax on profits now? Yeah, so there's a few different things here that are things we knew were coming from this government. So the flipping tax coming into effect uh, in 2025, it's a 20% tax. So if you buy a home Mm -hmm. and you sell it within a year, you are going to be docked a 20% tax on the profits you make from that profit, from that home. Then from year one to two, there's a, a sliding scale that goes down to zero. So if you sell your home, between 12 months and 24 months, you pay a tax lower than 20%, going closer to zero as you get closer to that 24-month period. The money goes directly uh, to um, affordable housing projects that the province is investing in. There are a bunch of exemptions around this, including you know family issues, uh, if there's a death or a divorce, or reasons why you may have to sell a home. Uh, Ultimately, this is to target the practice of people using Metro Vancouver's housing market as an investment. Uh, It's something that has been popular in polling. We'll see what it looks like in practice. I asked for some more specifics on it. I was told if you build a new home on the site, 
then you're exempt from the flipping tax. But if you renovate a current home and move it within two years, then you have to pay the tax. Again, it's just on the profits. But as, as you know, you and I have discussed before, there are lots of small scale developers in this province that have relied on helping the housing market by taking homes where people don't want to live, upgrading them, and then selling them. And it seems to me if the home is still the same structure, that they're going to be caught under the flipping tax. I wonder what the repercussions uh, and ramifications of that will be. The other one that caught a lot of people off guard that is going to get a lot of talk is uh, funding in vitro fertilization in the province. BC has been behind so many other provinces mm-hmm. on this. So now the province starting next year will pay for one round of IVF to help people get pregnant. It's about $68 million, but it, it gets us you know, caught up with what we've seen in other jurisdictions. We're getting this electricity affordability credit, but Jazz, like this is a hundred bucks on average for hydro and forest customers over the entire year. It's going to be applied to your bill. So it's barely going to cover the cost of your fancy latte that I know you get all the time uh, because it's going <laughs> to be about guy, just eight, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like eight or nine bucks a month uh, that will cover over the year. And I think what happened here is a premier EB was caught, you know, when Josie Osborne dropped yeah. that memo saying we're going to do this. And then they looked at the books at Hydra and said, okay, things are okay this year, but look at the drought we have down the road. And we're going to start having to import energy. So we can't really be looked at tapping into BZ Hydro for all it's worth and then say, oh, wait, by down the road, uh, we're going to have to start buying electricity at a much higher price. It would have been a long-term bad mistake. So I think EB got stuck in the middle here, uh, having to sort of fulfill that promise. And he's brought it in, but it's it's a little bit less, I think, that, than anyone was really hoping for that, you know, a nice you know, big rebate to show up uh, either on their next bill or or a check in the mail. That's not coming. Richard, uh, let's touch a little bit on the uh, employer health tax. The business community, the small business community, has been complaining about this a lot. Looks like the government has actually been listening to them in, rec- in regards to the payroll tax here. Yeah, halfway they've been listening. So this is so- something that they've been calling for for a long time. But what business groups were calling for was the threshold to be raised to $1.5 million dollars. They've gone halfway there. So leading into today, that threshold for the employer's health tax was $500,000. So businesses with payrolls at that point and lower uh, exempt from the tax. They're now expanding it to a million dollars, although the Greater border, uh, Vancouver Board of Trade and others were asking it to go to $1.5 million. It also means that 90% of businesses will not pay the tax. So for those small businesses that have been struggling with this, that have payrolls between $500,000 and a million dollars, this is big relief. This is going to help get through some of those challenges. But it also puts an added burden on those huge employers in the province. Yes, some of them are making big profits, but others may have big payrolls that are just struggling to get by. And this will continue to mean that they have pressure on them uh, to cover off this employer's health tax, which you'll remember the province brought in uh, to offset getting rid of medical service premiums. My guest is Richard Zussman, Global BC's legislative reporter. He was in the budget lockup today. Let's go to the open line. Let's go to John and Langley. Hi, John. Yes, good afternoon, gentlemen. I still don't understand why Mr. Eby refuses to budge on the carbon tax because this (laughs) is one of the main factors at a provincial level, a federal level, that is destroying this country and driving inflation and ruining the lives, the quality of lives of fellow Canadians. uh, With the budget the way it is, or the deficit rather, I can understand where the money's got to come from somewhere to a point. It was supposed to be neutral revenue anyway. But having said that, at least he 
could have modified it, taking it off of home heating gas fuel like to heat our homes. They're, they're not moving a bit. But in a fashion, that's not bad either, because I think this is the exit for Mr. Eby and the NDB government in this province. John, thanks for your call. I think he practiced that line. But he, John's got a <laughs> point, though, in regards to just, you know, working people are hit with this carbon tax. There is a climate action tax credit, isn't there, uh, Richard, in this case? Yeah, there is. And it helps offset some of that. We also saw investment in the budget uh, to get people off home oil uh, and towards heat pumps. That's a big commitment the province has made. They're going to work with the federal government uh, to make that transition free uh, for British Columbians who are currently on oil. That is going to take time. We're likely going to see that in the federal budget. But lucky for John, we have a provincial election coming up in October. And if this is his big issue, uh, there are two parties, BC United and the Conservative Party of BC, who have promised to make all sorts of changes around the carbon tax. Getting rid of it in BC right now, not possible with a Trudeau government. But if there's changes in Ottawa, we've heard from both John Rustad and Kevin Falcon, they would be very quick to get rid of the carbon tax here. And they would also offset some of those taxes on home heating, as John described. So lucky for him, there's an election coming up. But for now, this government is insistent. They believe, you know, the carbon tax, the way it is, uh, helps uh, fulfill climate targets in BC, uh, while being uh, that affordability crunch is being offset through other measures like we saw in the budget. Richard, thank you. Thanks, Jess.